0: The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language.
1: Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here with Mike and uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to be interviewing each other about our wrestling fandom to kind of give you all an insight into you know who we liked what we grew up on what our formative wrestling experiences were and uh, we're going to kick things off with me interviewing Mike Uh, so Mike tell me a little bit about your wrestling fandom maybe start off with like a quick viewership timeline like when did you start watching when did you lapse when did you get back into it all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, so it's one of those things where, like, I don't remember when I started watching wrestling. Like, it's one of those things that I th- I think every kind of wrestling fan experiences. It's just you kind of just know it exists, and you just kind of start watching. But if I had to put it in a year on, it was probably right around when I moved to Texas. So I was about five, so 1995. And then I was primarily a WCW guy until I moved to North Carolina, which was in, like, late 1999 I believe 19 maybe late 1998 that range and then I kind of was a lapsed fan until about 2001 late 2001 2002 uh and I started watching WWE and I've pretty much been a consistent wrestling fan since since then no real lapses in my my wrestling history
1: so uh so yours is actually a lot less patchy than mine which we'll talk about later but what's like your first your earliest memory that you can reach back for of like watching pro wrestling what's like the first thing you remember
0: i remember i remember watching with my dad and my dad's never been one to say he's been a pro wrestling fan but my dad knew who like rick flair was and he knew who dusty Rhodes was so Obviously, he knew the bigger, you know, mainstream guys and like Hulk Hogan and stuff like that. But um, I just remember watching it one night uh, at, at my at my parents' house. And I, I honestly don't remember, like, specifics about the first time. What I do remember is the special events that I watched over the years. One, one of my first WCW memories was trying to watch a uh, pay-per-view at my grandmother's house illegally. <laughs> <laughs> from bed, son? Yep,
1: I'm all set, Dad. All set. No, yeah. no, I, I think he's trying to watch some illegal channels here. Illegal illegal channels? This is just a bad reception, honey. Respect my hairy ass. What's that? Oh, baby. You know just what, just uh, give me this, please.
0: Oh, yeah. and uh, let's uh, get this yeah. oh, uh, no. So for all you young whippersnappers out there, sometimes if you went to certain channels you could see what was on pay-per-view just super distorted and staticky and sometimes you could make out what was happening um uh, there's there's that scene in American Pie where Jason Biggs is trying to see like boobs on the pay-per-view scramble I was trying to watch wrestling so I remember trying to watch wrestling and uh the memory that sticks out to me the most um was actually when I was already in North Carolina because I was still watching wrestling because it was one of the things that I kept from my friend group in Texas and I've really struggled with the move. Uh, I had really good friends in Texas. I was excited because I had my first male teacher for the first time, Mr. Spain, who always like threw the footballs with us outside. So I was really, I was really bummed, really disappointed. And my parents kind of spent that first couple months doing whatever it could to try and cheer me up. And I remember watching a, a pay per view over at our family friend's house and. The match that always sticks out to me was a triple threat tag match with, I think it was Rey Mysterio, Billy Kidman, and Huvertude Guerrero.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Starrcade, 1998, begins with this one-fall triangle match. It is for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship.
0: Introducing the first challenger, he represents the Latino world order...
1: From the Federal District of Mexico, Juventud, go Ladies and gentlemen, challenger
0: number two is from San Diego. I just immediately fell in love with the cruiserweights and you know in 80s 90s wrestling you know there wasn't a ton of little guys and I was always I was always smaller than most of my friends um so I kind of I kind of took to them and Ray Mysterio was my dude was my dude man I freaking loved those guys yeah um, i
1: I don't know a single wrestling fan who hasn't gone through a phase of Rey Mysterio being basically their favorite wrestler or the wrestler they're most excited to see, at least one who's like over the age of like fifteen, so uh, oh yeah, definitely huge impact on the business so
0: and not only was I like a big fan of 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 him, I was also a big fan of like him and Conan doing their thing. And I like I used to wear my shirts like Conan did on his way to the ring. So it was only the top button was buttoned and you wore like a white undershirt underneath it. And I looked like such a douchebag, <laughs> like, like if we're being honest. But um, so I remember watching that. And then uh, whatever year it was, um, I'm looking it up as we speak. So I'll clean this up and post. But um, I remember there was the feud where Conan got kicked out of the NWO for, for making sure, you know, Ray Mysterio again, his ass kicked and they had a tag team match at one of their pay-per-views, um, where it was mask versus just, it was a mask match. And if, uh, Ray lost with Conan, he would have to remove his mask. So he lost, he removed his mask. It was so crazy. um, it was like, you know, heartbreaking. That was my first experience with, like, kind of the Lutra tradition of, you know, honoring the mask. Well, I remember the next night on Nitro, Kevin Nash is out there with his mask, taunting Ray. Ray comes out with, and he challenged Kevin Nash to a match right there and then. And you, you, you know, Kevin Nash, you've seen his matches. Cocky Kevin Nash was awesome. Like, yeah. like, he was like, there's, there's a, a picture from that match that I always remember is when, at the beginning, Kevin Nash was like, yeah, let's do the test of strength. And he puts his hand up as high as he can. <laughs> so to Ray to try and grab it to do the test of strength. And Ray just looks like, he got to be shitting me. <laughs> but the match ended uh, when Kevin Nash went for the jackknife powerbomb and Mysterio just starts punching him, punching him in the head. And they kind of just collapse. And Mysterio gets the surprise three count. He is out of the ring before they even finish pronouncing Ray. Like <laughs> he is sprinting up the ramp. Like, like I love it when the underdog beats a big guy like that. Mysterio Jr. is a giant Killer. That I just I always loved Ray Mysterio from that point on. It was one of the first real like wrestling moments where I marked out. Like, I was so excited. I was running around the house. I told my dad, told my mom, Ray Mysterio, just beat Kevin Nash on Monday Night Night Show on TNT. Um, and it, it was great.
1: <laughs> yeah, that angle that you're talking about is is one of the most widely critiqued in WCW's history because of what a big deal masks are in the lucha tradition. And Ray didn't want to do that. Like he didn't want to unmask. He wasn't really on board with it and kind of got, you know, talked into doing it. Eventually it was supposed to happen on an earlier episode and he didn't want to do it then. And eventually just relented and was like, fine, we'll do this, but wasn't really into it. And, uh, you know, Eric Bischoff has talked about this a lot about how much flack he's caught for that angle And, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think at the time that American audiences really understood what a big deal it was. And, you know, for that reason, it didn't really make sense to do that. And, uh, you know, obviously it, it, it kind of Ray got his heat back with getting the win over Kevin Nash, but it just, it's one of those angles that sticks out that was like really was this necessary did we need to do this
0: yeah and as i remember when he came to wwe he had the mask back on um and i remember like reading the early dirt sheets backstage com or whatever the hell it was back then um about kind of some of the other uh hispanic wrestlers and some of the wrestlers from mexico kind of were like he shouldn't have that back um But, you know, as part of my parents, like plan to try and like bribe me to make me love being in North Carolina. Actually, we ordered that pay-per-view the night before, too. So I got to see like both nights in a row. And I just want to walk through this card real quick. but not not a super in-depth thing, but this was the card top to bottom nine matches. Burker T defeated Disco Inferno. Hell yeah. Fuck that guy. (laughs) Chris, Chris Jericho defeated Perry Saturn by count out. Billy Kidman defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr., Kurt Henning and Barry Winham defeated Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko in a two out of three falls match. That was probably the yeah. match of
1: the card. Like that was probably the oh, best yeah. match on the card.
0: I would love to watch that match. It was a twenty minutes longest match on the card. Um, that was followed by the Outsiders d- with Lex Luger and Miss Elizabeth. Wow, <laughs> defeated Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr. It was a hair versus mask match. So it was. Kevin Nash's hair on the line. Uh, Scott Steiner defeated DDP for the WCW TV Championship. Then it was Scott Hall defeated Roddy Piper for the United States Championship. Goldberg defeated Bam Bam Bigelow. And then our main event, Hollywood Hulk Hogan defeated Ric Flair for the World Heavyweight Championship match.
1: So just... Wow, what a bizarre show. <laughs> uh,
0: late 90s WCW was something special, wasn't it?
1: yeah for sure for sure so i have a question for you since we're talking about kind of early wrestling memories and i think this is a significant thing for a wrestling fan especially when you become a fan as a kid you kind of automatically root for the good guys because you know you're supposed to and and kids like the good guys so what i want to know is who's the first heel that you remember rooting for oh man okay (laughs) uh
0: I am such a mark for Christian. He has always been one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, I don't know why I was I was kind of drawn to him. Um, I always kind of felt like he got the shaft when he when he stopped teaming with Edge. Um, but I remember this was really the first time that I really started rooting for a heel. It was post invasion. Um. I believe. And they were, it's when they were setting up all the titles on all the different brands. So the intercontinental title had apparently been kind of vacant for a while. So on raw, Eric Bischoff was like, we're bringing back the intercontinental championship. Uh, It's going to be only former champions can be in the match, Uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, I'm trying to find the exact I want to make sure I get this all right. Um this was after he was like with Lance Storm and the Un-Americans, which is a very underrated team by the way. And what I think that was kind of-
1: Lance Storm, like that's that's gold. Lance Storm was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um
0: so basically he showed up and this was he was still kind of long-haired. He was still still kind of winning wearing his uh his um like E and C type of gear. And he won the, the match. He won the battle Royal at unforgiven or bad blood. One of those pay-per-views. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And then the next day he came out with the short hair. He came out with like a new gear, new outfits. And I think this was the beginning of the peep show era of, you know, the peeps, with Christian. I just found him to be such a smarmy little bastard, but I loved him. I loved him. And I instantly, like it was, it was really the first time I rooted for a bad guy. And like to this day, quickly
1: became uh, a face, uh <laughs> because he was just so popular. And uh I, I definitely, I dug Christian as well, but sorry, you were saying go on.
0: Oh yeah. And I, I, his whole career after that point um was was really interesting and then you know him going to TNA it was one of the reasons I watched TNA for a while cuz I wanted to see Christian kind of get that main event push and Christian Cage was such a awesome character for for TNA and you know obviously TNA kind of had some issues toward the end of his run and then one of my favorite stories of all time was him winning the uh World Championship in the latter match against, was it Alberto Del Rio? Um, and this was immediately after Edge retired for the first time. And Christian won the latter match. Edge is there. It's such a great moment. He finally won it. <laughs> and then WWE lets him lose it three nights later to freaking Randy Orton. And then we get the summer of whiny heel Christian again. And it is one of my favorite stories of all time. And what I loved about that feud is, you know how sometimes they put that feud, Oh, if you get disqualified, you lose the title. Cause you have to keep your composure. Mm-hmm. Christian got Randy Orton to lose his composure. Christian like, <laughs> and it ended Christian won the title for the second time because <laughs> Randy Orton kicked him in square in the dick. <laughs> and I, I just, I just always loved the guy. I, I always thought he was an underrated worker. The Unprettier was always my finisher in uh, WWE video games when I made my wrestler. Um, and yeah, just just an awesome, awesome, awesome wrestler.
1: That might, you know, regardless of what you what you call it, whether you call it a kill switch or an Unprettier or, or any of the other things that's been called over the years, that might be one of the most setup-heavy finishers that leads to, like, you're going to see the performer attempt it 11 times in the match before they oh, yeah. finally hit it you know <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And when my, it memories hits, watching, like, yes! my memories of watching christian were just like this is terrible like i know i know he's not gonna hit it here this this just is is you know i him to win this match but i know that this is just a tease and he's not actually gonna hit the unprettier because he never hits the unprettier
0: <laughs> um yeah and, and- The fact that you see wrestlers do it now in AEW and in in the indies and the fact that like it has they do it with such impact now too um, I think it's just you know Christian left his mark and I always thought he was the you know very underrated Uh, and I don't think he's the Genetti here to the Shawn Michaels because I think if you put his singles career up on its own right very very respected well and
1: he's also never admitted to murder on social media so
0: I mean yeah like <laughs> I, I I hope not <laughs> this would be a really bad timing for us if he did that so You saw the yeah. Genetti stuff right Oh yeah
1: like that <laughs> like, like I I feel like, like you you can't you know use that reference anymore without you know adding a little caveat to it
0: well, we we'll have to find another team, but yeah, the Jacksons re- referred to Janetti <laughs> with the Rockers uh, on Tag Team Appreciation. I was like, "Yeah, I thought guys, that was really
1: weird. Bad timing. Really
0: bad timing. You could just say the Rockers. You didn't have to say Janetti." <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So Christian's my man. Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, i I think something we'll we'll kind of get into later wrestling and looking into the future but since we're talking about your wrestling fandom and you kind of brought up the um your your creator wrestler that you would do in, in in video games maybe it's a good time for me to ask what angle would you want to book yourself in and what do you think you could pull off and let's set aside like you know in this in this scenario you are a pro wrestler you've trained (laughs) you can do all the things so you know what angle do you think you could pull off from a character and charisma perspective
0: okay so i'm going with a recent kind of story that i think i could pull off i think i could do the leo rush manager role for bobby lashley (laughs) like yeah because i'm just such i'm i've always been like told that i i'm I'm witty and I'm, I'm charismatic and I feel like I would be an excellent manager. Cause I would 100% talk so much shit and then just immediately hide behind my massive, you know, or, you know, if it's a tag team, two massive bodies. And I feel like I'd be that guy who would kind of avoid, 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 avoid the fight. And then when they actually get the, get me in the ring, I'd actually be the manager who can do stuff like, we always talk about managers from back in the day. You just wanted to get your hands on classy Freddie Blassie because once you got your hands on him, it was over. Well, Leo rush was a manager who could, we've seen Leo rush in person, like right in front of us. And the things he can do in the ring are, are outstanding. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would go that route. I think I'd be, I think I'd be a good manager, um, who would definitely, you know, work with heels and just try to generate as much heat as I possibly could.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So um, another thing I wanted to get to is what's, tell me about the first live wrestling show that you went to. Because I feel like this is also a big deal, right? So as fans, you most people start by watching the product on TV. And then a lot of people don't, I feel like they don't really get it until they see it live and then it, it all starts to make more sense as to why this is such a big deal, why so many people are into this. And, you know, cause you know, we know that it's, it's scripted, predetermined, whatever you want to call it collaborative, but being there in person kind of makes it click the element of, you know, this is live performance art. So, so what was your first live show? Man, I, I,
0: <laughs> So it always came to the uh, God. It's what what it was the RBC Center. It was the Entertainment and Sports Complex. What's that arena called now in Raleigh? Uh, PNC Arena. PNC Arena. So we went there, and you know, Raleigh is a decently sized city. You know, it's the capital of North Carolina. So it got t- it got shows maybe once or twice a year. And before this, I didn't really understand what house shows were. So I didn't realize that it came more often than I thought it did. So whenever, like, so I, I had a lull. I had, I, had a, I had a wrestling lull from about 2001 to 2003, 2000, 2003, that range. And I met my friend, uh, one of my longest friends, my friend John, uh, in middle school bands. And we, he was a weirdo, I was a weirdo. And we just kind of clicked on our re-emerging love for wrestling. We both kind of had lulls and got back into it. Um, and then we just happened to kind of find each other when we were um, getting back into it. And I, the reason the lull happened is because I kind of got made fun of um, when I moved to uh, North Carolina because I didn't really have any friends who liked wrestling. So it, it's it's one of those things It's hard to follow when you're alone in it. So finding a buddy who liked it and who we would talk on the phone after shows, you know, talking about the results. Um you know it it made it easier for me to get back into it, so my parents <laughs> i've I've told you before Joel, my dad he always had these kind of weird like ways to treat us like adults, even though we were kids, so like for one thing, I paid taxes on my allowance, <laughs> oh God <laughs> growing That's up um uh, yeah, so the way it worked is that we got a dollar for every year we were alive but we had to pay 20% of taxes. <laughs> so when wow. I was 10, I, I would, I would pay 20% of taxes and get $8 a week. And then when I was 12, you know, do the math, you know, $2 and 40 cents. So it's his way to kind of like, you know, show us kind of the world. And one of the things he did is when we wanted to order pay-per-views, he made us work for it. So me and my friends used to do a day's worth of yard work and that would equal a pay-per-view. And so we did, we watched God, that's summer we watched Armageddon, not sorry, not Armageddon Judgment Day, uh, 2000, 2003, I think the main event was big show versus Brock Lesnar in a stretcher match. And then we watched bad blood the following month, which was Kevin Nash versus triple H with Mick Foley as special guest referee and hell in a cell. So we did that two straight months and it was awesome. And then we saw an ad that SmackDown was coming to Raleigh. And we were so excited. So we were like, dad, 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 dad. Can we go? Can we go? Can we go? And we had to work. We worked a couple, you know, two weekends in the summer to to get the tickets for that. But my dad was like, yep, I will take you to SmackDown. And Joel, the main event for this random SmackDown was Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar in a 60-minute Iron Man match. For the WWE Undisputed Championship. 15 seconds left. Coach got that ankle, then leg brought up. Will Brock tap? 10 seconds left. 9, 8, will Brock tap? Brock has the tap for coming Angle to the tie. There's four seconds, three seconds, two. Let's get it the top out. And it's over. The time limit is expired. Brock Lesnar did not tap. Brock Lesnar is the new champion. Here is your winner. The voted as the best match in SmackDown history. <laughs> um, and you got to be
1: there in person. That's pretty legit. Was that was yeah, that the first show you'd ever been to live?
0: First show I've ever been to live. Wow. And yeah, and not only that, like there was a tag match with like Rhino, Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio, to Jerry, Los Guerreros. Uh, this was during the John Cena rapper days, so he did a rap on the roof of the, uh, whatever it was, the entertainment so was the RBC screener, center, then RBC center. And, and his rap was about us killing Saddam Hussein's children. <laughs> Cause oh apparently that happened happens that day. And, um, it's funny. Cause my, it's funny. You mentioned like people kind of get it more when they experience, when they experience the event in person. Well, my dad was like, Oh, okay, I'm going to wrestling and blah, blah, blah. Well, they did a, a dark match before where Big Show fought two guys in a handicap match. And my dad was blown away by how big the Big Show was. <laughs> just like, like he looked at me, he's like, Mike, how, how big is he? I'm like, oh, he's seven foot tall, 500 pounds, like, you know, a mark. Um, And my dad was just laughing hysterically when he just beat the crap out of these two jobbers. And he's like, okay, okay. Well, I guess they they wanted to practice that match. Cause they did it again on the taping and he's laughing the same way. So by the time we get to the 60 minute Ironman match and my dad liked the sport aspect of it, of keeping score, it takes an hour. My dad was and like, my dad was cheering just as loud as we were. We got my dad to chant the you suck chant for Kurt angle. Oh, awesome. um, we got him to chant. This was like the early days of like, this is awesome really starting to happen. So, some this is awesome chance and holy shit chance And it's funny. One last thing about the show. You know, I, w- I was in seventh grade and I I swore, you know, because when you're a teenager, swearing is like the most badass thing you can, can do. So me and my friends were like, you know, we're not going to swear because we're going to be in front of my dad. And and then when we got to the arena, we saw there was like little kids behind us like, oh, yeah, we're not going to swear. There's little kids behind us. Well, we're in the main event and Kurt Angle has Brock in the ankle lock. And we hear this little tiny voice behind us say, "Break his fucking leg off!" <laughs> <laughs> this like six year old is behind us swearing his ass Oof. off about how <laughs> he wants he wants Kurt to break his fucking leg. And at that point, we're like, "Okay, well, I guess we're gonna chant and we're gonna say whatever we want." So, um, but yeah, it, it was an incredible event. One of like really, I I never really looked back on being a wrestling fan after that. Like it it's, it's been God almost 18 years straight now of being a true blue wrestling fan, watching something every single week.
1: Very cool. So I have a couple more questions and then we can wrap up. But, uh, one that I think is really interesting and I think it's, it's a question that gets asked a lot is what's one star living or dead from any era that you would want to book into wrestling today? Um, and then kind of what what do you think their first feud would be? So we're going to assume that whoever you're choosing is in the prime of their career. And, you know, you can put them in any company you want. You can put them feuding with any wrestler you want. Uh, who's it going to be?
0: Eddie Guerrero. Period. <laughs> one of my all time favorite performers and you know people always talk about like oh the first time you experienced death first time you experienced death Like, my grandfather died when I was young I, I don't really remember the impact of that I remember the day Eddie Guerrero died I remember uh reading it online seeing it on WW.com, and like I remember crying a lot <laughs> um and with the way pro wrestling is like he would have only been 50 right now like just think of all of the matches we and feuds and stories we could have gotten from Eddie Guerrero especially when, when he died he was still like in his peak <laughs> like, yeah um, Eddie was amazing so I, I would bring Eddie back uh, and I'd bring him to AEW and I would put him in a feud with the fucking cleaner
1: <laughs>
0: Kenny Omega versus Eddie Guerrero. And you know what? Just because this is going to be one of those who's better type matches, it not only would be one match, Joel, it wouldn't be two matches. It would be a best <laughs> of seven.
1: <laughs> Give him the Booker T treatment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're getting the, the best of seven Kenny Omega, Eddie Guerrero, and they're just going to tear down the house every single
1: Very cool. I I can't argue with that. Eddie was one of my favorites growing up as well. And uh, I, I'd love to see that, you know, just seeing Eddie in today's wrestling environment um, for one, he would immediately be the best person on the mic in the business. Like, cause there's just nobody better. Mm -hmm. And to see what he could do with some of the more athletic wrestlers of today Cause I feel like there was a short list of dance partners for, for Eddie that could really go the way that he could when he was around. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that. That'd be fantastic.
0: Yeah. I, I, let me, let me mention one more guy. I would just like disco Inferno to come back so he can just get his ass kicked and he can eat some botches every single week. <laughs> <laughs> Quote unquote botches.
1: I remember listening to Killing the Town and Storm and Cyrus were reviewing an episode of of Nitro or something and uh, I just remember Cyrus being like what do you call that spot? Tackle, drop down, fall on your face and tear your ACL?
0: (laughs) It's super effective.
1: Yeah, so okay. So uh, I, I lied before. I have two more questions. So first off What's an angle that you would show to a new wrestling fan to help them understand pro wrestling?
0: Oh man. Um, I, if we're going something more recent, I would show them the build to Cody MJF uh, from earlier this year, because it's, it's, it's the per, I, I felt it was like the perfect story of, building up the the hero where all you want him to do is win and all you want him to do is just beat the shit out of the heel. And then the beautiful thing about pro wrestling is when you get the rug pulled from underneath you and Cody not winning that match is incredible. Like, like the torture that he went through, um, it, it's just it's just incredible. And and it sets the stage for not only this feud lasting, you know, this rivalry lasting years, but it gives, gives the heel what you need. And that's, I have a win over you and I am the star now. So, um, and just the, the trials that, that Cody had to do leading up to that match, you know, he had to take the lashes. He had to, uh, fight, um, an opponent of MJF's choice and a, and a cell like it, it was just, I thought it was perfect storytelling and it's one of my favorite stories. It is my favorite story that I think AEW has done since they, they started last year.
1: Yeah, it was definitely huge. I think that's a great choice and I think it does get across the, the theater and the, you know, morality play that is pro wrestling of you know good guys and bad guys and and the simplicity of it all so and i got i got, got one fun. more
0: i got one more and this is my favorite WWE story of all time and it's not the Kofi story even though the Kofi story is very similar to this one it would be the Daniel Bryan story the yes movement from right after WrestleMania 29 through WrestleMania 30. And Joel, I I remember you were on a, you were in one of your wrestling lapses at this point. Um, and I know you've watched it and you've gone back, but watching that all happen in real time, uh, it lasted from SummerSlam to WrestleMania, basically of Daniel Bryan, just being in this main event picture and the fans not backing down and the fans literally taking over shows with their chance, and, you know, just that build of Daniel Bryan facing all of evolution in one night to winning the belt at the end of the show. And also, you know, he had a lot of health issues uh, in the year, two years after that. So it really was kind of a culmination. And luckily we got Daniel Bryan back where he can wrestle, he can perform night in, night out. Um, But that was, that would be to kind of show how wrestling can be organic. It doesn't have to just be, well, Vince says we're going to do this story, this story, this story, this story, because they had no intentions of making that story happen. And when it did, it truly felt, wow. Like, I'm leaving WrestleMania so happy tonight. Like,
1: Like... Yeah, I think that's those are two good choices because I think they exemplify the, the goals that any pro wrestling company has for a big show, which is you either want to send the fans home really happy or really mad. Like the last thing that you want is for people to walk out and be like, meh, you know, that was fine. I, I, you know, whatever. You want people to be angry, like ready to break stuff and, you know, throw down their merch and, you know, storm out, because they can't believe that this person betrayed this person or that this person didn't win this match or whatever, or you want them to be like, I can't believe I just got to witness that, that triumphal moment. So yeah, I think that's great. All right. Last question. Promise. What is one wish that you have for pro wrestling as an industry for the next five years?
0: Oh man, for all these companies to, to, get rid of all the fucking abusers, man. <laughs> like, like the me too, the me too movement in wrestling this year. And the God, what was their hashtag that Speaking they were out. using? Speaking out. It It's the closest I've been in the last 10 years of being like, I think I'm done with this. Like, like it it was so disheartening, especially because a lot of the people involved were wrestlers that we fell in love with by going to indie shows by going to WrestleCon, you know, these were the people we wanted to see get shots in these bigger companies and, um, you know, to see those people that we loved so much turn out to hurt so many people and abuse so many women and promoters not taking their claims seriously, like, it's disheartening and it it was everywhere. No company like, avoided it. So, it it was really disheartening and I would really love, you know, if my wish was get these people out of here, set up some way to keep people accountable. If that's a wrestling union, so be it. Um, and just really, you know, push to make the locker room safe, open and inclusive. And my, if I had to think,
1: I think what you're ultimately talking about is, you know, women being treated equally within pro wrestling. And, you know, I, I think that, I don't know, that solves 100% of everything, um, that was addressed during that, you know, kind of two, three week period when everything was coming out, but I think it would, you know, go a long way to creating an atmosphere where it's harder for that kind of thing to happen.
0: Yeah. And then I guess my other wish would be just get rid of fans because wrestling fans are the worst. (laughs) We We are horrible. Like, like
1: am I wrong? (laughs) I mean, I I think it's, I think that the by and large, you never hear from most of the fans of professional wrestling because most of the fans of professional wrestling aren't on Twitter flaming about this and that The, the loudest voices in the IWC can be really, really awful. And I think there's a lot of dogpiling that happens, but there's a ton of fans that, don't engage with that at all. So I think that the to take that broad stroke of like all wrestling fans, not even all, but just to say wrestling fans are bad. Like, yeah, there's a lot of toxicity and there's a lot of vocal people who are really stupid and really awful. But there's a lot of great wrestling fans too. And there's a nope. lot of wrestling fans that don't <laughs> weigh in at all whatsoever. Um, and, you know, like I don't think we're awful and and we're wrestling fans. So we might be, <laughs> I mean, we might be awful. I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't leap to that, but uh we, no, yeah. no,
0: I, I know what you're saying, but it's just, there's, there's a lot of toxicity with, with wrestling fans. And I think a lot of it is, is just gatekeeper mentality. Like I've introduced wrestling to a lot of people over the years and just going in was like, Hey, yeah, we know, we know it's predetermined, but if you give it a shot and you give it a try, like I took my ex to a wrestling show. And, you know, my ex, (laughs) she left the show saying, I get it now. Like, thank you for for taking it slow and just kind of showing me and bring me into part of your world. So um, but there's so a lot of wrestling fans. It's just like you voice one opinion about what you like about someone. And it, it, it just turns into this whole argument. And like we include happy wrestling on every episode because this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be entertaining. God damn, the amount of hours we put into watching wrestling—it better
1: be like entertaining. It better make you happy. That's the thing I the don't fuck. understand: is like, uh, why is it that people will put so much time into something that they purportedly hate? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like <laughs> you know, like or just the, you know, the the indie riffic mentality of if it happened in front of more than thirteen people, it wasn't good.
0: Yeah. And like my one of my favorite in person wrestling moments was Kofi Kingston winning the title at WrestleMania last year. Like Joel, we we I was we lost ourselves in the moment for about 40 minutes.
1: Like I couldn't believe it happened. I mean, it yeah, just, I was I was stunned. I thought, I mean, we both thought going into it that either Becky or Kofi we're going to get their moment. And we assumed that it was going to be Becky because the women were main eventing. And when Kofi got the win, it just blew me away. I, I did not see it coming. And you know, that entire stadium lost their goddamn oh. minds. It was great.
0: Loudest pop I've ever felt most intense and sustained pop I've ever felt.
1: And like and my roommate, you know, if Becky's win hadn't happened it. 1215 in the fricking morning after we had been in the stadium for seven hours, she might've gotten a big pop too.
0: Exactly. We were just, we were like, we were, we popped because we were ready to go home.
1: And then we, <laughs> a and then we had a, pop. Cool,
0: yeah, it was a zombie. It was like, thank God it's over pop, which is the, I think the equivalent to go
1: away heat. It's the, thank God it's over pop. <laughs> oh. So. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Um,
0: not really. Uh, I will say, as I said that I wanted wrestling to be better towards women, I will admit the reason I got back into wrestling is because I was flipping through channels and I saw a bra and panties match on TV and I was going through puberty and I was like, what is this? So you don't so, actually
1: have to admit that on air. You can...
0: <laughs> no, well, also 12-year-old me has learned quite a bit uh, in the 18 years since. So wanted to show that I can grow and bookend really my wrestling you know, <laughs> fandom with, ooh, boobies who We need to treat women
1: better. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah that's certainly true. Remember, everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling.